Well, tickets to live events tend to be pretty expensive. Uh, Stephanie and I like to go to plays occasionally, uh, but tickets to go to those kind of things are pretty expensive. Like, for example, in October, uh, the tickets went on sale for Hamilton, uh, for the Hamilton play at Shays. And uh, people waited in line for hours for an opportunity to buy tickets. And if they got the opportunity, which not many people did, they were anywhere from $83 to $178 per ticket. Sporting events are expensive. Now that the Sabres are doing well, tickets are, ticket prices are going up, so you might pay $30 or $50 or $100 or more to go to a Sabres game. Uh, concerts are expensive. You know, if, depending if it's a popular person, you could pay $30, $50, $100, $200 for one ticket uh, to go to one of these concerts. But when you think about it comparatively, it's really not that much money. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, that must be nice on a pastor's salary. But that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you think about it comparatively, what if I told you that over a 25-year span, the average American spends about a million dollars on entertainment? What if I told you that every year the average American spends about $41,000 on entertainment? What if I told you that the average person spends about $112 a day on entertainment? Well, you might be thinking to yourself, how can that be? You might be thinking, well, I don't even make $41,000. How could I spend that much on entertainment? Or if you do, you're adding it up in your mind and you're thinking, there's no way I could spend that much on entertainment. Well, I lied a little bit. This is how I got the number. So the average person, they say, spends about six hours watching television or video, whether that's Netflix, live TV, uh, DVDs, or whatnot, six hours per day. So in theory, those are workable hours, in theory. Now the average wage per hour in the United States, the number I came up with in 2018 was $18.72 which would in, theory, av- would, in theory, amount to the time that the average person's time, the amount the average person's time is worth. So if you multiply that time, the, t- the 1872 times the time that we spend watching videos, or the average person does, it's $112 per day, $41,000 a year, a million dollars over 25 years. Now, we might be surprised by that. That might shock us a little bit. And what's interesting about that is we think about going to a sporting event or a concert and we think spending $100 is a lot. It is a lot of money. But we don't think anything about spending a few hours watching television. We don't think about the cost related to that. And I think the reason is that we tend to value money more than we do time. This past year, I was reminded of that, you know, with all the sales on Black Friday. I was looking at all the sales, and most of the sales actually were on Thanksgiving. You know, and many people would rather just go get bargains on Thanksgiving than spend time with family. Because we value money often more than we value time. But not only do we value money more than we value time often, sometimes we see time as not even an asset, as a hindrance. Like we're always looking forward to the next thing. And when we're in high school, we're looking forward to graduating. 
going to college. When we're in college, we're looking forward to the time when we can have a job. When we have a job, we're looking forward to the time when we can get married. When we get married, maybe we're looking forward to having children. When we have children, maybe we're looking forward to retiring. When we retire, retire, maybe some of our loved ones have gone to be with Jesus and we're just looking forward to going to heaven. And so we have this tendency to kind of always be looking forward. And seeing time as not even a commodity is something that we kind of get through to get to the next step for where we want to go. We talk about the idea of killing time as if time was something to be extinguished. And the, the thing that's interesting about this is while we value often money more than time, money is something that's renewable. Time is not renewable. In other words, if you're bankrupt today, even if you have a lot of debt, if somebody tomorrow gave you a check for $5 million, that would completely transform your financial future. Not the same with time. Time is always going down. You can't add more to the time. Time is always ticking until your time runs out. And yet, for some reason, we still in our culture tend to value money more than time. Paul's audience that he's, or uh, Peter's audience that he wrote to, struggled with this idea of time. And specifically, they struggled with the idea that Jesus had not come back yet. And you can kind of understand why they would struggle with this, because Jesus had come to the earth, he'd lived a sinless life, he'd done all these miracles, he died on the cross, he rose again from the grave, and then he appeared to many people and he ascended back into heaven. Then nothing happened. He said he was returning, but then days went by, weeks went by, months went by, years went by, decades went by, nothing happened. And so false teachers came into the midst of the audience that Peter's writing to and said, Jesus isn't coming back. He's not coming back. The world is just continuing. Nothing has changed. He's not coming back back. And if he's not coming back, what does that mean? It means that there's no judgment. There's no rewards. It essentially means that there's no purpose. And so what are we doing on this this earth? We're essentially killing time. All we're doing is killing time. So these false teachers say, if you want to indulge in sexual promiscuity, just go for it. You only live once. You only live once. You want to live in drunkenness or debauchery? Just go for it. What's what's the difference? Peter is going to affirm that Jesus is indeed coming back, but then he's going to tell us two things that we need to know about time. And the first thing that we need to know about time is that time is relative. Look at what Peter says in verse 8. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. He continues, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. Now, time is something that moves at a constant pace, but our perception of time changes over time. Have you ever realized that as you have gotten older, it seems like time moves faster and faster and faster? Well, that's not just your experience. That's something that most people experience, and it's kind of a scientifically documented thing that happens, that as we get older, time seems to speed up, even though it actually it stays the same, but to us, it seems like it's going faster. And there's many different theories for why that is, but one of the theories is uh, basically that 
the more time you have, the more time you have to work with, the less valuable time is to you. In other words, if you're one year old, how much time does a year represent? It represents 100% of your life. And so a year seems like an eternity. You know, but as you go up two, when you get to be two, a year represents 50% of your life. And it keeps going down and down. But when you get to about 80 years old, one year represents about 1.25% of your life. So one, uh, one year it isn't that big of a deal in your life, and so it seems to go faster under that theory. According to an article in the Washington Post, waiting 24 days for Christmas when you're five years old is comparable or feels like waiting a whole year when you're 54 years old. Now, if this is truly the reason for the increased speed or the, the feeling that we have that time increases or goes faster, what if you didn't live to 80 or 100? What if you lived to be 500 years old or 1,000 years old? Or what if you were God who existed from all eternity past and all eternity future? Uh, how much of God's existence this one year represent, it represents zero. And so imagine how time moves with God. God exists out of time. But imagine how time would move with God. That's why he can say one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So these people are questioning whether Christ is coming back, and they're saying, well, he hasn't come back yet, he must not be coming. But it's almost like a child who's going on a road trip. What does the child ask? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And sometimes maybe you're exasperated, and you're like, it's been one hour. One hour, that's all it's been. We're going to be there soon. In the same way, these people in, in Peter's context were like, is he here yet? Is he here yet? Is he coming? Is he coming? And eventually they're like, oh, he's not, I guess he's not coming. And God's like, it's only been a few minutes. It's only been a few minutes. I'm coming back. See, these false teachers wanted to put God on their schedule. But God won't accommodate himself to our schedule. He has his own purposes in mind. He has his own reasons for doing what he's doing. Now, in this context, Peter applies it to the return of Christ, but in our context, we can apply it to other areas of our life. We also, I think, sometimes want to put God on a schedule. We, we pray to God and say, God, would you please bring me healing? And what we mean is, bring me healing now. God, would you... Save my loved one. And what we mean is, would you save him or her now? We pray God provide for my needs. And what we mean is, provide for me now. And yet God isn't on our timetable. What seems like an eternity to us is only a few seconds in God's economy. So as believers, we need to have that realization that just because God delays doesn't mean that he's forgotten about us. And we need to be patient in waiting for God to act on our behalf. And when we do that, we'll see the blessing of seeing Him come through and fulfill His promises to us. 
Estee Lauder is one of the biggest cosmetic companies in the world today. Last year, I think it made like $1.2 billion. Uh, but it wasn't, of course, always that big. And uh, it was started by a lady named Estee Lauder. That was the lady's name. And her story is told in a newspaper called The Holland Sentinel. And uh, shortly after she started her business, she realized she had to get greater distribution. She had to get her products into the stores. She felt like she had a good product, but it wasn't getting out to people. And so she went to the office of the American Merchandising Corporation at 9 o'clock one morning, and she wanted to meet with a lady named Mary Weston, who was in charge of the cosmetics department uh, of this corporation. And she had the authority to kind of put products in different stores. So she went there at 9 o'clock, but she didn't have any appointment and the receptionist said, you, you just come back another day. But Estee says, I, I don't mind waiting. I'll just wait around. And when she has a few minutes, I'll be right here waiting. Well, throughout the day, salespeople came and they went. At lunchtime, the receptionist told Weston, uh, or told uh, Estee Lauder, uh, Weston's schedule is so full, you, you're not going to be able to see her. Just come back another day. And she says, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a little bit longer. And she waited till 5.15 p.m. that night when Mary Weston came out of her office. And she looked at Estee Lauder in disbelief and then admiration. And she says, well, do come in. Such patience must be rewarded. Weston was not only impressed with uh, Estee Lauder's uh, cosmetics, but also with her determination. But still she told her, there's not enough room in our stores. We can't do it now. And still she told her, wait. And she waited. And eventually she got distribution into those stores. And they, as they say, the rest is history. Became a billion dollar company. All because she waited. Because she was patient. The same thing is true for us as believers. We can't put God on our schedule. We need to be patient. Waiting for His timing, for His plan. Not only is time a perception, but time is also or, or, or relative, but time is also a gift. Peter says in verse 9 that the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, there's a reason why Christ has delayed His second coming. It's not arbitrary. He's done that for a purpose, and that is so that people would have the opportunity to repent, so that we would have the opportunity to turn to Him. Because His desire is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so He gives us this gift of time so that we can turn to Him and be saved. Yet Peter warns that eventually the time will run out. He talks about the heavens and the earth being burned up. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does it mean that Peter says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief? It means that it will come unexpectedly. Jesus describes this in Luke chapter 12, but know this, if the master of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The only moment that we have to prepare for the coming of Christ is right now. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, maybe when I get a little bit older, or when this happens, or when that happens, then I'll work on my relationship with God. But the only time we have is right now. Christ could come back tomorrow. 
He could come back today before I'm finished preaching. He tells us the return of Christ will be sudden, surprising, and unexpected. And we all need to be ready to meet the Lord. We need to live lives of holiness and righteousness so that when Christ does return, we'll be ready and we won't be ashamed to meet Him. There's an article that appeared in a newspaper called the Gospel Herald. It said this, If you have work to do, do it now. If you have a witness to give, give it now. If you have a soul to win, win him now. If you have an obligation to discharge, discharge it now. If you have a debt to pay, pay it now. If you have a wrong to right, write it now. If you have a confession to make, make it now. If you have a preparation to make, make it now. If you have children to train, train them now. Remember, time is passing, and you're passing out of time. We're a procrastinating lot. It's always what we're going to do tomorrow that entices us. But it's only what we do today that counts. So we need to live life with that realization. But then you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm a believer. I'm doing everything that I can to follow after Christ. I feel like I'm ready to meet Christ. I'm ready for His return. And so we might wonder, why doesn't God take us out of that situation? Why doesn't He take us and just take us to heaven? But if He did that, what kind of a world would this be? Who would share His love with those who don't know Him? The Scriptures scriptures teach us that we should not only be ready to meet Jesus, but we should look forward to His appearing. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation describes uh, the coming of Christ and the the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create. And then he kind of concludes that with saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Crying out to the Father for for Jesus to come. And we should have that same mindset where we look forward to the return of Christ. Look forward to the time when He's going to Heal our bodies. Where He's going to right all wrongs. Where we'll be able to spend forever and ever with Him. And so, as believers, we look forward to that event. But we also must wait. Because we have a job to do. We have people to reach with the Gospel. People who need to know the love of Christ. In a New York Times article, the journalist Alex Stone talked about a story about executives at the Houston airport. And they had received a number of complaints about the time of the, uh, the, the wait for the baggage, uh, at the baggage claim. And so the first thing that they did was they tried to speed up that time. They hired more baggage claim handlers. And they were able to reduce the time significantly. And they got it down to about eight minutes, which was uh, well above average for the kind of industry standard. But what they found was that people still complained pretty much just as much. So they thought about it, and they tried to, They realized something. They realized that the gate that the people would get off on when they uh, came off the airplane was very close to the baggage claim. And it only took about a minute to get there. And so people would come off the plane, they would rush to get to the baggage claim, and then they would have to wait for five, six, seven minutes for their baggage to get there. 
So in a stroke of genius, what they decided to do is they decided to move the gate farther away from the baggage claim. Now people had to walk farther to get there, but when they got there, it was often already waiting for them. Apparently the complaints went down to zero, or close to zero. Because when they got there, it was there. The reason he told this story was the kind of idea, it's not about waiting, it's a, or the time that we wait, it's about what we're doing when we're waiting. He also interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson, who's considered the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. And he said the length of, he says, often the psychology of queuing is more important than the statistics of the wait itself. Larson says, essentially, we tolerate occupied time, for example, walking to baggage claim, far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. Give us something to do, the article says, while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. As believers, we're waiting for the return of Christ. That's our ultimate destiny. That's our purpose, to be with Christ. We have a job to do while we wait. We need to be following after Christ, growing in godliness, sharing the love of Christ with those around us, sharing His love. Because there's millions and millions of people who need to know Christ. This passage teaches us also something remarkable. He says, not only do we wait for the return of Christ, but we also can hasten the return of Christ. That we can hurry up His coming. What does that mean? We can hurry Christ's coming by doing the things that must happen before He comes back. Sharing the gospel with the lost. Now, one day Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when that is. Whether that's today, 100 years from now, 200 years from now. But I think one day, whenever that is, there will be one person who's the last person to repent. The last person to turn their lives over to Jesus. And then God will be like, it's time. He's turned to me. It's time for me to come back. What a privilege it would be if we were the ones who shared with that last person. That last person who needed to hear the gospel. Who needed to be saved. To hasten Christ's coming. So I have two questions for us to think about today. First, are you ready to meet Jesus? Do you know Him? Are you a believer? Have you turned from the direction you're going and trusted in His sacrifice on the cross for us? Are you living for Him? Are you living a life of godliness, of righteousness, so that when He comes, will you be ashamed? Or will you be proud of the things that He's done in your life? Second, if you do know Him, what are you doing while you're waiting for Him to come back? Are you sharing your faith with those around you? Are you sharing His love with those who need to experience His love? Jesus is coming soon. That fact is assured. We don't know how long that will be, but in God's economy, it's only a few minutes away. Maybe even a few seconds. Time is relative. And God's economy is not the same as our economy. But we have a gift, the gift of time. The world has a gift, the opportunity to turn to Christ before judgment comes. And we have this time in the interim while we wait for Him. 
to reach those around us with the love of Christ. Famous missionary Amy Carmichael once said this, We will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're God who fulfills your, pro- your promises. That even though you might not be on our timetable, you are working your plan for our good, for your glory. We know that you're coming soon, Lord. And we look forward to that fact. We look forward to all the things that you're going to do for us. But most of all, we're, we look forward to just being with you, to experiencing your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that as we wait for your coming, that we would be people who are on mission to share your love with our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. This world that needs your love, that needs your grace. God, I pray that we would be intentional about that. Lord, I pray for anybody here who maybe hasn't entered into a relationship with you. God, I pray that today, now would be the day that they turn to you. Today would be the day of salvation because we're not assured of tomorrow. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your grace. We look forward to the time when you return. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.